everyone, Dash here, and today I'm queued up with Meteos. How you doing, man? I'm good, good to be here. Thanks for coming in on your day off. Not much of a day off, I guess, if we make you come in and film something with me. No, 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 it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so here's the deal. You're probably the pro player that I've spoken to the most uh, over the course of my entire career as a host. And so I feel like I've largely explored a lot of the more surface level elements uh, of your story. Um, and in that vein, I'm now kind of interested in, in, in attacking this like in a less specific way. And really, I just kind of want to catch up and kind of figure out what comes to the surface here in a discussion. Um, that said, we are, we are gonna like rewind all the way back because I think an easy place to start is obviously, uh, you know, the pre-League of Legends uh, life experience of Medios. At my um, birth? At your birth. So yeah, so what's the first thing you remember? <laughs> Ooh, um, day one in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, were you a popular baby? Popular hospital baby. Uh, yeah, I was one of the cool ones. I thought so. I thought so. Uh, no, but uh, home life growing up um, was was gaming something that uh, when did when did you start gaming? Let's just actually go there. Uh, I would say it's always funny if you go on my like Leaguepedia page. There's this little snippet that's like, yeah, Medios got started playing gaming with uh, like his dad's Game Boy when he was five years old, and then my mom's always. Like every single time I see her, she's like, "That was my Game Boy, not your dad's Game Boy." Like you need to tell someone to fix it. I was just like, "Okay, mom, <laughs> that's brilliant." Yeah, uh, you've never you've never gone in and tried to edit it yourself on the. Uh... No, because because I don't really remember. Like, yeah, I don't I was... even know what. Now I, now I'm really curious. I should I now I wish I could print it out. We could go through your wiki like one beat at a time. But so it was your mother's Game Boy. Right. I according to her. I trust my mom. Yeah, I trust so, my mom too. Yeah, that's that's probably the earliest I remember. Like, you know, Game Boy Pocket. This is probably a lot of, like, the League players nowadays. Yeah. Don't remember the... It was before Color on video games. Oh, it was yeah. actually black and white gaming, so super boomer era. Super um, boomer era. Yeah, so I remember just playing, like, Game Boy games. Uh, there was, you know, like, Donkey Kong. Then there's Pokemon Red version came out. Mm -hmm. So I feel like gaming's always been something that I've been into. Uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. Well, you said it was your mom's, or your mom claims it was her Game Boy. But whether it was hers or your father's, that indicates that your parents uh, had some level of appreciation for gaming if they themselves partook. Uh, was there ever, like, a point where you had to like a frank discussion with your parents about the value of gaming? I'm talking, about, again, before your pro career. Mm. Uh, different people have different relationships with their parents and gaming. Yeah, my, um, well, I'd say for high school, gaming was kind of a pretty big tension point mm -hmm. for me because uh, basically the timeline for me was I had a fairly balanced life until about high school when I started playing WoW. Yeah, oh, and, and then, okay, our stories are aligning <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, I was into sports growing up uh, in like elementary, middle school, played some games on the side, like, you know, Xbox, uh, like Diablo 1, Diablo 2, Warcraft okay. 3 kind of stuff. And then when I started playing WoW, it was just like crazy fun. So I just always wanted to play it. But then my parents just hated WoW. I don't know if it's because it was a subscription-based game or because I spent so much time on it, but it was pretty much like any time I got a bad grade in high school, which was like if I got a C-plus in a class. Yep. Like, and basically, a B was as low as I was allowed to get. Okay. So if I ever got a C-plus, it was like I'm grounded for the next semester until my next report cards. Okay. No wow. Like that's what grounded meant for me. My that's parents. brutal. My mom would actually encourage me. She's like, 
hey, if like you want to go out and party, like if you need a ride home, I'll pick you up, no ah. questions asked, just like have fun. And I was like, no, I want to play WoW. And she's like, nope, none of that. Did 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 then? Do you feel do you feel that that was coming from like a a, a point of not understanding the social value of gaming? Because to me. Similarly, WoW, WoW was my big game in high school as well, and I dedicated God knows how many hours to playing that game. But a big element of it was the social aspect for me. I didn't necessarily feel like my parents understood, though, that there was value to be gained in that area of my life through gaming. That connection didn't, it wasn't there for them. Right, I, I think that's definitely a big part of it because you know I, I've had friends that even to this day I'm still close with that yeah. I met through WoW. Uh, some people that I've known 10 plus years, it's actually, one of my favorite stories is, I have this friend named Bobby, who I met on WoW before League was even a game. Okay. And so, uh, I got him into playing League, and then he knew Nightblue 3, and then he introduced Nightblue to League. So like, he knew both me and Nightblue before either of us ever played League, and wow. then, like, we both just became like popular streamers, stuff like that. That's crazy. So that's one of my, my favorite small Well, thank you, Bobby. <laughs> Wherever you are, Bobby, or if you're still in touch with Bobby, extend, yeah, yeah. My, extend my thanks Definitely. on behalf of the League community for, uh, for bringing you guys into the fold. Um, but yeah, isn't that an interesting thing about the way that uh, gaming has evolved? And I think it's interesting. We're particularly lucky in some regards to have lived that evolution. The evolution of you know the time when it was a looked down upon hobby, right? right. This was just a thing that basement dwelling loners to you know take part in, and we did live a, a portion of that era, but we also got to be a part of the very very stark you know kind of shift in culture to know there's something real here. There's value to be gained in many different ways, whether it be socially or competitively, you know, or just from an entertainment perspective, I, I would argue there's always value in putting a smile on someone's face, you know? Um, and it's been kind of cool to almost be riding that roller coaster as the whole world is figuring out that this thing oh, yeah. we love has value. I mean, the, the whole ecosystem for gaming feels like changed, you know, drastically since we first started, because Speaking of that, like I've heard kids nowadays in high school are like popular if they're gamers. You know? That's that's crazy. That's I don't believe it. I, yeah, like, I almost mean, don't believe that. I, I haven't been in high school in, in quite a bit, but I know for me, like if, if people found out you played WoW in high school, it was actually social suicide. I didn't tell anyone. Yeah, I didn't tell anyone. If me and my friends, like I had a few friends that like I played with who knew about it, mm -hmm. and in, in school we call it golf. <laughs> Like, yo, you want to play some golf after school? We're going to go golfing later? Oh, my yeah. God, that's incredible. Yeah, we have that kind of code. But I know exactly that, that feeling, right? You have, your, you have your kind of wow click who you're totally willing to be open and forthcoming with about the fact you play the games. And then you have all your, the external-facing, you know, friendships at high school who you're like, all right, I'm going to separate these two worlds and I'm not going to let them collide. Exactly. And I feel like so much of that, yeah, has disappeared now from, like, the current young culture. But I, I, therefore, I kind of want to go, again, back to your relationship with your parents. You said it was a source of tension in high school. Um, when and where did you feel that shift where gaming was no longer a source of tension in your family? And, uh, or is it still? I don't know. I don't oh, no, no, know no. what your uh, family life is my, like My right parents now. are both super supportive of what I do nowadays. Uh, I would say the shift probably came like around the time that I started going pro. So there's actually uh, kind of interesting story there where so the way that it played out for me was kind of weird so I started college right and I feel like a lot of pro players probably have this story where like they start college 
And then for my first year of college, I got like, you know, solid grades, like at least to be average. Cause the internet in my dorm was so bad, I couldn't play League except in like the, the dead of night when no one was when using no one the else is using the bandwidth. Right. Otherwise it was just too laggy. So, you know, I had to actually do my homework and stuff. Okay. But then my second year, I had crazy good internet. Ooh. So some classes didn't get attended, some assignments <laughs> did not get finished. And then uh, what ended up happening was like going into my second semester mm -hmm. of my sophomore year, uh, I didn't quite pass the prerequisite courses for the ones that I signed up for. Ooh. So uh, yeah, I had a little vacation from college. I like that phrasing. Yeah, yeah. And so then I like moved back home, had a nice little call with my dad. I was like, hey dad, uh, coming back home, uh, not doing this second semester thing. Yeah, so, how, how did that conversation go? He wasn't happy, obviously, but it was kind of, my dad's a pretty like rational dude. He's just like, all right, well, nothing I can do about it now. Like the damage is done. Just like, let's figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. uh, I like enrolled in some online courses, like the local community college, just to like at least be working toward my degree in some capacity. So during this time was a, when I was like taking this online class, it was about when I first started subbing for C9. So my story was I played largely only normal games mm -hmm. for a re really long time, just cause like I didn't really care about ranked. So then when I started playing in like these amateur tournaments and stuff, like, you know, go for lols and whatever other online tournaments there were, uh, my team was called Team Normal Stars. And then yeah. we ended up getting into this uh, MLG online circuit where we played against Cloud9. This was the one with like uh, high balls, um, wild turtle. Turtle lemon. was on it, yeah, before Sneaky. Right. And so I had known them and I was really good friends with Turtle just through solo queue. Okay. Like he was a player I always looked up to and uh, we became friends through that. So like, you know, we knew each other, we had played against each other and then uh, the jungler for Cloud9 just kind of went MIA, like he just disappeared. And so then Turtle messaged me, he's like, yo, you want to sub? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's about the time when I started subbing for C9. Okay. And we were just crushing online tournaments. Like we won like a bunch of qualifiers to like, I think it was IPL five or something like that. I don't remember, it was a while ago. And were your parents aware? Like, did you keep them kind of in the loop here of this, the beginnings of success, uh, the beginnings of, hey, I'm, I'm playing at the top end, uh, the top level of a game? Yeah, a little bit. You know, I'd always, I would like tell my dad, I was like, hey dad, I'm like top 50 in North America right now on the ladder. He's just like, don't care, do your schoolwork. Um, and so like while I was doing that, he was like, you know, I don't really care what you do, just get your schoolwork done right. and it's fine. And so I was like kind of doing that. I was doing part of it. Right, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, we had the opportunity to like for the, so, as a lot of people might know, uh, C9 failed the first LCS qualifiers. Yeah. But then for the second time around, that was when I was on the team. So uh, this is when we were Quantic Gaming for like a really brief period of time where they said, you know, we can get you guys a gaming house out in California for like a month. I think this is from the time of like that IPL5 tournament until the qualifier. It was like maybe a one or two month period. The famed IPL5. Yeah, I, I, something weird happened with that one. Well, it just in general, people love to call that out as one of the best tournaments of all time, uh, just it, because of the level of competition across the different international regions. Right, okay, may, maybe it was the one after that, because it was, it was one of those tournaments where like, it didn't end up happening, so it just turned into like this small tournament <laughs> at the LCS studio. Ah. Maybe it was that six, was, This was know. all before my time. Yeah, Impor yeah. Important to note that this was, at the time, I was watching Quantic. 
I was, yeah, this uh, was, I was this a bit. I was a little bit of a Quantic fan, rooting for you guys to get into the nice. SES before I ever ever found my way here myself. Yeah, so this was back in 2013 for people that uh, you know maybe are unfamiliar with the timeline. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we moved out to California. We were just like in this gaming house, which it was more just like we were in a guest room of someone's house over in Palmdale, which is like you know two hours outside of LA in yep. the desert. Uh, just nothing's around, but it was super fun because you know this was the first time we'd all been like in that situation at all. Yeah. Uh, and it was just a really good time. And then while I was out there, you know, when I told my dad about the opportunity, I was like, hey, uh, I can go do this tournament and then like stay out there. He's like, all right, you know, that's fine. Just keep doing your online courses. Like you have to get a degree. <laughs> And I was just like, no worries, Dad, you got it. I love this. So, so then, like, a couple weeks into the thing, he's like, hey, you know, uh, you have to take finals for these courses at the college itself, which is, you know, back in Virginia, other side of the country. Okay. He's like, so how are you planning on doing that? And I was like, I wasn't. <laughs> so that, that was a really awkward conversation. Oh, okay. And uh, understandably, my dad was pretty pissed about that. Yeah. So he, he was just like, really mad at me and we didn't really talk for a while like the entirety of the time I was in Palmdale like getting ready for the LCS qualifier and then I remember uh like the night before our LCS um qualifier my dad like called me and he basically was just like being supportive saying like hey like look I was mad before but you know there's always a place for you at home if this doesn't work out like I wish you the best yeah. that kind of thing and uh it was like really touching for me because of everything that happened before that so I would say that's kind of the point where I felt like my dad was really supportive of what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then, you know, luckily enough, we won the qualifier. That started, like, the whole C9 era in North oh America where we were just winning everything. Yeah. And, uh, it was a pretty good time. And I would say, you know, my mom was always, like, pretty supportive, just kind of like, you know, do what makes you happy sort of thing. And then once I started making money from it and it became, like, an actual viable career path, my parents have both been, like, very supportive. Were you surprised by the success that you guys had? So immediately? Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> well, yeah, because you said you guys were crushing the online, right? You were like, hey, we were smashing left and right and some of the gopher lulls and then even moved on to some of the, you know, these kind of standalone tournaments. And you guys were performing really well. I'm always very curious to know what people's own opinions, though, or expectations are of themselves at any given moment. Right. Um, I, I think it definitely kind of surprised all of us because... Uh, like, we just really enjoyed playing the game. We didn't think of ourselves as being, like, incredibly good. But I'd say one of the moments that stuck out to me was... So, we were kind of, we were pretty close with TSM because, um, like, right before a qualifier, Wild Turtle got picked up by TSM because this is when, like, Chaos had his whole thing where, mm -hmm. like, he was, like, losing focus, so they brought Turtle in, and they just kept Turtle. So, like, we lost our AD carry. We ended up getting sneaky afterwards. And then um, we just were really close with TSM after that because, you know, like, Jack was from TSM, Turtle oh. was from C9, so we were close. And going into the qualifiers, we scrimmed against TSM a lot. Okay. For, like, I think we played, you know, maybe a couple weeks of scrims against them, and we had, like, a 90% win rate against them, which wow. we thought was weird. We were like, okay, maybe TSM's just a hard sandbagging team in scrims. Maybe they're not trying very hard. Right. And then I remember they had this documentary called Game Cribs, and at the very end of one of the episodes, there's like in this interview with Odd One, and they were asking him, uh, I don't remember, remember what they asked him, but he was like, 
yeah, we started scrimming this new team, and I don't know if they're God tier good or if we're just playing bad, <laughs> but like we can't beat them. What and, an and then, like, Yeah, I felt so validated. I was just like, wow, this is the odd one. Like, you know, the guy who's considered the best jungler, like everyone looked up to him. Yeah. So uh, that felt really good for us. And then, yeah, I mean, it just worked out. That's super cool. But so do you, do you, do you ever take a moment to kind of appreciate how wildly different your path to pro was than what is currently required for someone to become a pro? Oh, right? yeah. Like this idea that like, or rather, let me ask it this way, because it doesn't even really feel like, I guess you were approached by Turtle to join the team, but that's the thing. You were approached by just some other player who is good. Nowadays, there's all kinds of formality, I'm sure, right. around bringing a player into an org. We got to fully scout him, get the vetting of the support team, make sure that all of the players themselves want to work with this guy, have an interview in a meeting, and blah, blah, blah. I mean, was it any, it probably wasn't more than a single conversation, right, to end up on that team initially? Right. It's definitely something that uh, has changed a lot as, just far, as far as the landscape of going pro is, because kind of like you touched on, sometimes I'll have people in solo queue messaging me just like, media is like, how do I become a pro player? And I'm just like, I don't I know, don't dude, know. Go, go to scouting grounds. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't take that path. You yeah. know, it's, it's much different now. Um, but it's, it's definitely a lot different. And I think there's I mean, the, there's no way something's going to stay the same all the time, but I do kind of miss a little bit how it was before where it felt like teams were sort of just, they were put together by the players and they were sort of just self-run. Yeah. And then an org would just pick them up and be like, okay, you know, what do you guys need? We're going to support that. But they were more hands-off. It felt like the players were a little bit more in control of things. Right. Uh, nowadays with franchising, it feels very much like... Uh, kind of, it's more institutionalized where it's mm -hmm. like you were saying, um, you know, when a player comes in, they're like getting scouted. There's lots of analysts, coaches, um, just a lot more support for the team. And so in a way, it feels a lot more like you're at a place of work rather than playing with your friends. Yeah. And it's not to say it's, it's bad or anything like that, but it, it is a very different feel where to me, the original C9 team always felt like family. Yeah. It was like, I, I remember very specifically that line being spoken in some piece. That, oh, yeah. I like, can't recall the piece exactly, but I'm like, I have heard that phrase uttered from your mouth, Sneaky's mouth, any of those OG C9 guys about, in part, what made you guys so successful was that. Right. And it definitely felt like, you know, we were brothers. We were just playing for each other, where I think that what can happen nowadays, like, I think franchising is necessary for the league to continue its growth, and mm -hmm. it's definitely a good thing. But I do feel like sometimes players will, you feel like you're sort of just fighting for your spot mm -hmm. to stay a pro player. You're kind of always worried about like, ooh, man, if I have a bad week uh, uh, performance, like I'm going to get like replaced on my team and, and stuff like that can happen. So I definitely think it's a little bit more serious feeling mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse. I think that... I think it'd be for better and for worse. If right. I'm being honest, like, in some ways, I view it as a double-edged sword, right? Like, there's a lot of people who have discussed the advantages of moving to the franchise system and having a separation of home and work, right? Living in an apartment, having a place for me to go and retreat and feel like a human and an adult, and then show up to work and invest my time and my focus. And some people have kind of cited that that is an important, you know, shift in the scene to help players get better. 
Uh, by the same token, you then remove some of that aspect of family and camaraderie and, and elements like that. Do you therefore feel any responsibility as one of the most veteran players to create that feeling of family in the franchise system, understanding that it's going to maybe take even more effort? Like, do you, do you believe that a team is more successful if they find that bond? Uh, that is something that I've, you know, put a lot of effort toward. And, you know, with the, my team right now, 100 Thieves, uh, we've got a lot of, like, I got not, not super rookies on the team, but uh, players like Ryoma and Stun aren't quite as experienced as mm -hmm. uh, some of the other people in the league. So I am one of the more experienced people on the team, so I do kind of take it upon myself to just make the practice environment as good as I can. You know, I think that pretty much on any team, People are going to play better, have a better time if they're having fun while they're playing. And so it's always a balance of, like, let's try to have fun, yeah. but not just hardcore grief or scrims. You know, sometimes when you're having fun, you'll just do some really whack stuff and just totally ruin the practice. Right. So uh, it's definitely a balance between just trying to progress the team while also making sure people don't hate their time practicing because right. that's always the worst. So I mean, fun, fun but serious. And that's like a really hard combination of things to, to land on. Right? right, right. I definitely think that just trying to keep good atmosphere, like a good vibe, is something that is important to me. Okay. And uh, it's something that I work toward. I think it's... I'm probably not always perfect at it. Like, obviously, there's going to be, like, frustration mm -hmm. until that happens. But uh, I do find it very important. Uh, so, uh, do you do you think you've sh struggled with that shift? Again, for for certain, for the new for the new players, the rookies, this is the only system they've ever known, right? right. So this is the status quo. Oh, I get again. I go through scouting grounds, and then I go through this arduous process of uh, of interviews and making sure and like trying to prove myself and try out for a team again. In certain ways, you haven't had to go through that process. You've established yourself as great. Your pedigree precedes you. Not to say that I'm sure you haven't had to have some meetings and discussions before getting picked up on a team. But do, have you found any difficulty in that shift for you and adjusting to it because, of, because you're a holdover from the previous system? I, I think there's definitely going to be uh, some kind of growing pains associated with that kind of change because... I think for me, it's it's always a little bit different because with a lot of the coaches and staff that I work with, uh, a lot of times I'm more experienced than they are as far as right. like you know, played on bigger stages, played in a lot of international competitions. Uh, I've played like firsthand against like some of the best teams, like you know, players like Uzi Faker, yep. and a lot of the people that I work with, you know, they haven't. And so that's not to say that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like ego flex on them or anything, be like, no, like I'm way better than you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I definitely don't do that. But sometimes it'll be like, you know, if, if the dynamic that a team wants is that like, you know, the coach is up here and the players are down here, like the coach has authority over the players. But if the coach knows less than the players, then it can be kind of strange. Yeah, how does that work, right? Right, so I think that's kind of been an area where, you know, there've been like some bumps. Yep. But uh, I don't think it's been too hard yeah. as far as uh, getting adjusted to it. I think in general though, it's just kind of like a cool problem to explore because again, I look at traditional sports and to your point, nowadays the only people who hold 
like authoritative positions, coaching positions, are people who have this immense background in history, this, you know, this resume that speaks to the reason why they should be in that position. You know, an NFL coach maybe was a player before they were a coach, but they didn't immediately become a head coach. They then went to an assistant coach position and then to an offensive coordinator and then to a head coach position. And so they've got 25 years of NFL experience, football experience, before they become a head coach and are given that authority over other people. Right. And then it makes sense that their relationship, you know, is hierarchical when a 25-year-old veteran coach is still higher than his 10-year-old veteran quarterback. But in your situation, there's almost no coach out there who's more veteran than you because you've been playing since the beginning. Right. And it's just one of those things where I feel like, you know, down the line, it'll be different. But something that's always so interesting to me about League is the fact that the game is completely unfigured out. You know, when you look at a a lot of... Uh, you know, people in the esports scene like to make parallels between traditional sports and esports. And I think, you know, to some degrees, like, there are parallels, but I think that there's a lot that's not as well. For sure. For, for instance, like, football isn't patched every two weeks where there's just different positions getting thrown in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> Can but you imagine? League, <laughs> I, would, I would watch more NFL yeah, I mean, if they patched it every two weeks. I, I think so, too. But <laughs> with, with basketball and football and stuff, there's, like, decades and decades of film and just uh, games you can look back on. And then it's like, okay, if you're a running back, this is pretty much what what you need to do. Like, the running back has kind of like a similar job where, not to say it's like easy or he's doing the same thing every time, but I think when you compare it to league, it's a lot harder. And what can happen in teams, I think, is that when players come into these like very closed systems where... You know, say I'm a rookie player coming into a team and it's like, I'm going to look to my coaches, my staff, whatnot, to just tell me what to do. And if mm-hmm. I make a mistake, it'll be like, say I, I made a mistake, like I died to a gank, something like that. Okay. Then the coach is like, you know, you always need to be wording at this time. And uh, so then I go into the next game, I'm like, okay, I'm wording at this time. But then I get ganked from another angle or like a different timing. And then I think it's just hard because a lot of the way that I've seen coaching done is it's like, you know, you look at what happened and you figure out what you can do to prevent that thing from happening. Yeah. But it's not really a complete understanding of the game because I think a big kind of like fallacy people fall into, especially like on Reddit and stuff, is assuming that like what happened was the only thing that could have happened in that situation. Yes. And I think that a big part for me is just trying to understand all the optionality right. for both sides. It's like, you know, in this game state, these are the options that both teams have, even going more into it, like, each player has this option given, like, you know, where is the vision, where are the minion waves, that kind of thing. Right. And I think that it's just a really hard thing to understand. You know, if I'm someone who's watched every single competitive league game, uh, like every LCK, every LCS game, I still think there's a plethora of concepts that you would not be able to understand just because when you're watching it from the outside, things like Fog of War. Oh, my God. Like that, you're playing almost a completely different game. I'll be the first to admit and you've experienced it on the analyst desk, right? We watch games uh, the way everyone else does at home without fog of war. And so we'll see a play and we'll we'll get furious over, you know, a decision that was made or that someone didn't see something. And then if we go back in the replay client, turn off fog of war and watch it again, we're like, I actually totally understand why he made that decision now. I would have done the same thing because I didn't have the information that I thought, you know, he had. Right, and and, uh, there'll be a lot of other things like that where, you know, when you're in the game, you're always working with lots of imperfect information. And so I think that that's why it's really valuable to have 
uh, like super experienced coaches. Like uh, I'm really appreciative to work with Zix this split, like mm -hmm. Tony, because he's someone that I feel like he's probably just the most knowledgeable coach that I've worked with. Um, like he just understands the game really well. He's good at seeing like what players saw in a given situation and trying to work with it that way. Because, you know, if you're watching from the outside, one mistake that players will make a lot is like, say there's a pink ward in a bush in like a really random spot. Like say there's, it's at a blue buff and I'm pathing to my Gromp and I didn't check it. Like when you're watching on the replay, you're just like, oh man, he's so dumb. Like what why is he not idiot. checking this bush? Like it's obviously pinked. But then it's like, when you're in the game, obviously you don't know the pinks there. And it's like, right. why doesn't my coach call me out every single time I don't check every bush near me? Right. Even when there's not a pink there kind of right. thing. So, and, then, and if you flip the scenario, Right, and you say, okay, now every time you pass a bush, you're gonna step into it to check for a pink ward. You'd start getting flamed for wasting time stepping into bushes where there are no pink wards, right? right. People would be like, now he's making the wrong decision because he's wasting t 12 seconds in his pathing checking every bush when there are no pink wards. Yeah, so I think that's definitely one of the things that it's harder to see from the outside yeah. as far as like what, what it's like to be a player in the game. And that's also one reason why I've, I've always wanted to just keep playing right. league. Um, you know, a lot of times people will come to me and be like, hey, man, I think you make, like, a great coach or something like that when you're done playing. Mm -hmm. and Which I agree, I do believe you would. I mean, as far as, like, I feel like I'm fairly qualified compared to a lot of the coaches nowadays, but the way I try to look at it is it's like, I think about, you know, when I was a player, what would I need my coach to be able to do for me Yeah. to actually make me, like, the best player that I could be? And I still feel like there's a lot of areas there that, like, I would need to work on. Such as? Um, if you don't mind me asking. <laughs> oh, I think just, like, you have to be really patient with players and being able to bridge the gap between, like, what they saw and then what you think they needed to see in right. a given situation. Because one thing that Reaper actually taught me, which I found to be incredibly valuable uh, for pretty much my whole career, was he was, like, everybody's right in their own mind. Yes. Uh, so for instance, like, say your mid laner goes for some trade when the jungler was there and killed him. Like, both parties are probably going to be frustrated. I'm going to be like, bro, why are you giving the jungler free kills? Mid's going to be like, bro, why am I getting ganked when I'm winning my lane? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, they're both kind of right in their own mind, but it's about how many different factors were you thinking about when you made your decision? It's right. like, with your mid laner, you're thinking like, okay, like, you saw the wave was good for you. You had this trade angle. But were you thinking about, like, uh, where was their jungler? You know, you had your trinket available. You had a control word available. Did you think about placing it? Right. That kind of thing. And a lot of times it will be like, no, not really. And it's like, okay, so. Did you ask your jungler if he was in position to support for a counter, right? Right. Oh, no, and I'm at Krug, so I can't, I won't be there, right? Right. Looking for that extra information. So I think that there's a lot of factors like that that's super important because, um, I think it is really easy to fall into those traps of just being like, oh man, like you made this mistake. And from the outside, when I'm watching it, it was so obvious that was a mistake. But yeah. when you're actually in the game, it's just completely different looking. So I think just being able to like fully understand the game, make sure all the concepts that, you know, I have a general understanding of are, mm -hmm. are like perfectly ironed out so that basically if someone has a question about anything, you're able to like answer it uh, like totally so that because what can happen a lot is, like, say I'm, I'm a rookie player, but say you're working with, like, a really bad coach, someone yeah. that is, like, you know, straight out of Reddit, like the, the silver Reddit coach who's just like, oh, man, like, I watched a G2 game, and, and this is all the stuff they do. Just, like, do exactly what Yankos did what this game do. with his jungle path. And I'm like, 
okay, but like, don't you think it's kind of reliant on what's happening in the game? Like, isn't it subject to change? It's like, no, like G2 is the best team in the world. Like for very, work for you. very narrative based and just like, a uh, uh, very like know-it-all yeah. kind of thing. And you know, you see people like this pop up all over the place, like the Twitter Reddit analysts. And so if I'm a rookie player who has to work with that kind of person as a coach, and then it's like, okay, well, I know I have to be super respectful of my coach or I'll get kicked from the team. So I have to listen to what he's saying, but what do you do when he's telling you the wrong thing, but he yeah. doesn't realize he's telling you the wrong thing. And then he's just getting frustrated at you because you're not winning, but you're listening to every single thing he told you. It was just wrong. Right. So do you, do you feel, do you feel like the scene understands that problem to begin with? And then if so, do you feel that there is a shift towards a more productive style of coaching or working together as, as teammates? Are people beginning to understand that the game is less solved and that the qualities of a good coach or even a good player are different than maybe what we thought 10 years ago? Uh, I think that it's definitely moving in that direction. I think it's not something that is a super easy thing to like recognize and solve because yeah. I still think that, you know, well, we'd all they're, be coaches, right? right we'd all be coaches and players if it was. Yeah, I mean, but. there's no perfect players. There's no perfect coaches. And then even, like, with regards to franchising, it's a lot of these, like, companies coming in who may or may not have a ton of experience with League of Legends. And so it's like, how are they expected to be able to vet coaches and players? Like, right. how do they even know what to look for? Mm -hmm. And so you can't really fault anyone for that. But I think it's just something that kind of has to do with the infancy of the scene. And given like, you know, maybe 10 years from now or so, assuming League is still like a really popular game, yeah. I think it'll look a lot different than it does nowadays, but it's just kind of one of those things that is due largely to the fact that it's so new. Right. So um, yeah, I think it's just something that is, it's, I can feel it moving in the right direction. That's good. You mentioned, you mentioned that you feel you would make a solid coach, right? Or that you have some of the qualities that might lead to, you know, making you a good coach in the future. Is that an actual career path you're considering post pro-life? Um, or are there other things that interest you? Like what is Medios's retirement uh, I, I, I would, look like? <laughs> I would say that's definitely something that I've considered. Uh, for me, generally I've sort of said that like my plan is I want to play pretty much as long as I can. Uh, when I give like my five, 10 year life goal, usually I imagine playing to like 30 or so. I mean, right. given that I don't- how, how, Remind me how old 26. you are now? 26, okay. Right. Four more years, that's it. I mean, <laughs> I, who knows, you know, if, if I- Look, 40 could become the new 20 it, in game. It could, you know, it, it definitely could. So I basically, I wanna play as long as I can, uh, as long as I, I always feel like I have a passion for it because pretty much since I've started, I've always felt really passionate toward it. I, I still always, if I'm doing nothing, I'm like, I want to be playing League now. Or when I'm not playing League, I'm thinking about League. Just because it's just such an interesting game to me. And I, I still always feel like there's more I need to learn. And so I want to play as long as I can. And then after that, you know, I think there's definitely options. The biggest ones being like, you know, going into being a coach or maybe something on the broadcast side because, you know, it's fun to come in and do these segments or analyst tests, something like that. Mm -hmm. Or even just stream. Streaming is something that, I haven't been doing as much lately, but yeah. it is something that I find is pretty fun uh, just to like, you know, build a community, connect with them, uh, just have fun. That That's another distinct difference, I'd say, between traditional sports and esports, at least as of right now, is in some ways it's the access that viewers and fans have to their, to their favorite pros. 
right? Because we because our sport exists in the digital, you know, age or the digital medium where like we talked about, wow, a lot of that was about, you know, just like social engagement over the internet. Um, it's an interesting thing that I can tune into my favorite player practice playing a pickup game. That's essentially what it would be. It'd be like, I can go see LeBron play pickup. Yeah, I'm just invited to tune in and maybe he'll answer my question as he's running up and down the court. Like that's wild to me that that's a thing that is almost in some ways expected in the esports scene is that kind of openness and that fluidity between um, your following and yourself. Right, and I definitely think it's a good thing for sure. Uh, it's definitely one of the things that I really enjoy about streaming. Uh, that being said, I haven't streamed as much lately because um, I think there's also a lot of kind of like challenges that arise with it. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest ones for me is just like ghosting because you know as a jungler, you know you can cover your mini map, but you can't cover your whole screen. Screen, yeah. And uh, streaming with delay is is just a unenjoyable experience for kind of everyone. Yeah. Like you're having a conversation where it's like you're on the phone and it's like they hear you in 30 seconds, you hear them in 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, when the, when the question asked in chat has already left the chat screen by the time I'm getting the response, like, oof. Yeah, just, and, and you're it, seeing reactions. It reaction. kills the experience. Yeah, you're seeing reactions to the thing you said, and you're like, I don't even remember what I said right. that they're reacting to. <laughs> so uh, that's definitely something. And I think just, you know, for overall, like, mental health and just uh, practicing the game and trying to get, like, as good a practice as possible, mm -hmm. it's been nice for me to sort of, like, take a break. That, uh, I think it's something that... I do enjoy, and I do see myself going back to at some point, but for now, it's just kind of been nice to, you know, after scrims, just like hang out with my friends or hang out with my teammates, yeah. rather than just broadcasting myself to, you know, whoever needs to watch. How have you handled your fame? How, how like, uh, I, I mean, I guess, it, how did you initially kind of cope with, uh, wow, oh, I have this following. I have people who really attribute a lot of weight to what I say. Like there is, you know, I, I, I hold some amount of weight within X number of people's lives. And obviously that has scaled up throughout your career. Uh, but even let's talk initially, like when you, KDA Media, like that first, like that's one of the first things I can remember is like how catapulted you were based on that perform the performance of your first few splits, the entirety of that Cloud9 roster, but then very specific things came out of it that I can recall. There are things like Medios' KDA, specifically yours and Sneaky's relationship, just uh, being such close bros on that team. You guys were highlighted so often. And then one other small thing I remember is uh, Trombone. Bro, bro, that video. Like, we need to talk about that. We don't have to talk about it, but in general, like, you went, again, you went from probably never considering, I'm, I'm presupposing, but you yeah. probably went from never considering pro play video, you know, professionally playing video games as a career path in your life to, hey, all of a sudden this is a thing. I'm good enough to do it. Someone put me on a team. I'm actually doing it and now I'm famous. Like all of that kind of just piled on top of you. When did you finally get to take a breath and figure out how you felt about all of it? All right. I mean, it's, it's definitely been an experience and it's something that I feel like nowadays uh, I feel pretty grounded about it. Okay. You know, um, Nowadays, I feel appreciative for the people that support me. And, um, you know, it's just a really nice opportunity and I want to make the most out of it and, you know, give back in ways that I can. But I think it's something that I've kind of had to learn, you know, in the beginning, especially 
because we were so successful, I felt like maybe it went to my head a little bit. Like mm -hmm. it, it did feel nice when you would, you know, win LCS games, just immediately go on Reddit, read all the threads, just like Meteos KDA got, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm yeah. KDA <laughs> I'm so good at this game. Yeah. No, 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 but, <laughs> but I mean, then like, sure, it's great when you're winning, but at the same time, then like when you have your, like when you have the lows, it, yeah, when you have the lows, it, it can be pretty much the opposite of mm -hmm. that. And then it's just something that I had to learn where I actually worked with um, the sports psychologist on 100 Thieves the first time I was there. This guy named Matt Edwards. And he had a really nice presentation that kind of helped me think about it where he basically said, like, you should just totally ignore the extremes. Like, the people that think you're God and the people that think you're the devil, yep. they're, they're just wrong. You know, a lot of the times you're just projecting their never own Never as stuff. good as you think, but you're also never as bad, right? Exactly. Like, it's It's yeah. like people... He had this really funny kind of like clip in the in the presentation where it showed kind of like an iceberg, and then that's the slide, and he's like, "Okay, what is this?" And then everyone's like, "Obviously, it's an iceberg." And then you go to the next slide, and it's like way zoomed out, and it's like the tip of a giant ice cream cone underwater. Ah. And it's like, no, it wasn't an iceberg. It was the top of an ice cream cone. And he used that as a parallel to say, like, you know, people on the outside, you know, on Reddit or social media or whatnot, they only see a tiny bit of what's actually happening. Right. And they make these massive judgments based on that. And because you know, like you can't really get mad at them because they're working with the information they have, but there's just so much that they don't have access right. to. So there's no way that they can actually be correct in a lot of what they presume. Yeah. So I think just understanding it that way makes me, you know, not take it too seriously. If someone thinks I'm really good or someone thinks I'm really bad, I'm just like, all right, like, yeah, it, not, it's okay for you to have that opinion. They're not being disingenuous to their reality, right? But they don't understand or have the full picture of your reality, which is what they, in a lot, in most cases, are judging, right? And right. So, yeah, you having having perfect information, living your life, can can hopefully parse out, yeah, the extremes on both sides and excuse those for, hey, they're working with a lack of information. But right. then what can I hone in on, you know, maybe in that middle ground that is valuable feedback. Right. And I think a lot of that, like the valuable stuff is going to come from like your teammates, your close friends, your coaches, like people that trust you and have your best interests in mind. Yeah. So I think that's just something that I've learned. It's like uh, a lot of times people can go online to like seek validation or whatnot. And when you get it, obviously it feels good. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, when you're having that argument with your friend and you, and you go, you make a Twitter poll about it and you're like, yo, like, what do you guys think about this? Right. And you word it in a way so it's just because everyone agree with you and you're like, oh, obviously I was right. right. But then, you know, if your friend did the same thing on their Twitter. <laughs> it would have gone the other direction. Right, 100%. exactly. So it's like, I think just understanding that a lot of that stuff doesn't carry a whole lot of weight and it's not worth, uh, like letting it affect you that much. Yeah. So I think that's something that I've definitely learned over the years. And the stuff that has stuck with me through like the fame is just the connections I made with people. Mm -hmm. um, it feels really good when someone tells me, it's like, hey man, your stream helped me get through a really rough time. Uh, I've been like been supporting you since the beginning. It's been really cool to watch your path, that sort of thing. And that stands out to me a lot because uh, it's just cool to have that like impact on people. And obviously meeting fans in person is always really nice. Like yeah. whether they're super shy or they're like really excited to meet you. It's just like, it's nice to know you can have a positive effect in someone's life. Um, but with that, right, I 100% agree, first of all. Uh, but with that, do you feel ever like a growing sense of pressure or responsibility to be that to people? Mm. I don't know if I feel a ton of pressure. Okay. Um, I think that 
I'm just kind of trying to do my own thing. And uh, if people it, enjoy it, like it's it's something they like and they want to follow me, then cool. Like, thank you. Yeah. But if it's someone that like, if people don't care about it, then, you know, that's okay too. Well, I think that's the perfect mindset to have about it. I think it's probably tough for some people to find, right? Um, because to some degree, like, the the pedestal that you're on or that the, the where you are in your career right is because of i mean for both of us the only reason our careers exist is because people want to watch oh, what course. we do we have this audience right and so there's kind of this ever like there is this idea of you know a product that i have to deliver successfully right in order in order to be deserving of that uh and adoration is absolutely the wrong word because I feel like it's too strong a word, but it is the Draven first word, word that jumped in my brain. It makes it feel way too uh, intense. Um, but yeah, in general, I think it's interesting uh, to discuss, like, uh, too, whether or not you feel like you've ever struggled with your own identity because of how public you are. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like uh, like the sense of self can be muddied because... So much of myself is defined by this public-facing this public-facing persona. Oh, oh, definitely, and that's something that I kind of wish earlier in my career that I made more of a distinction between. And actually, uh, Bjergsen's drive video came out like mm -hmm. uh, what was it a few weeks ago? Yeah, just and, like right before the split or as the split. Yeah, started. and he said something in the video that I really resonated with and liked a lot, where he said. Um, he makes a pretty big distinction between Bjergsen and Soren, mm. like himself as a person versus his sort of like stage presence, his online presence, the people that, the person that they see when they tune into LCS. Yeah. And I think that's something that for me, I kind of let get, you know, completely jumbled, which would sort of affect both in not a good way. Like yeah. I, uh, in your personal life, you start thinking of yourself as like, Media's KDA king, like that's no good. And right, you're walking around with this chip on your shoulder all the time now because of that, or yeah. So I, I think that's definitely something that I've sort of, I've came to a similar conclusion that Bjergsen did with where it's like, okay, you know, when I'm online, when I'm like, there's times when I'm medios, and then there's other times when I'm just will. Yeah. Um, and I think just having friends who just see me as a person and like being close to my family and stuff is really helpful with that. Yeah, absolutely. Just to stay grounded on the topic of identity, right? And separating the, you know, kind of the, the stage presence, medios versus will. Um, I'll use the example of Darshan, right? Here's a guy who at one point had his moniker Zion Spartan, swaps, says, I'm going to establish myself as like a single individual or use my first name here and now has swapped back. Do you think it's a wise thing for players to have that distinction? Um, I don't necessarily want to make a blanket statement, you know, a blanket rule that all pro players need to feel the same way about it. But do you, from personal experience, feel like that's probably the better way to go is to actually have that separation? Oh, yeah. Th th I mean, that's definitely something that I I've said before. And obviously, no offense to people who use their, their names as their summoner name or whatnot. But the way I look at it is it's like when you're born, you didn't choose your name, right? Like, I didn't choose to be named William. You did But when you make your online name, like, that's something that you completely create. And you can kind of, you know, there's people who name change. You can kind of recreate yourself in any way you want. And that's yeah. sort of, like, the identity that you choose. So I think it's just a really good opportunity to kind of, like, like, pick a name that, you know, whether it just sounds cool or it's really meaningful to you, something like that. 
I think it's really cool to have, you know, a name other than your real name for yeah. online stuff because, you know, it, it, online stuff is just that. It's online. It's not super real. You know, right. people only see what you want to show them. So regardless of like how genuine someone tries to come off, like you, you only know what they're showing you. Right. So. And you get to, you pick what you present to the world. Exactly. Um, so where did Meteos come from? Uh, another one from the Leaguepedia, but it's, uh, it's the name of a Nintendo DS game. Okay. And I, honestly, I don't even remember how to play the game at this point. I know it's some kind of puzzle game. Okay. But I just thought the art style was really cute. And when I first made my WoW account, it was shared with my brother, so we had to come up nice. with a name. And so I just saw it sitting on the desk, and I was like, how about Meteos? Like, that sounds kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And so that was my uh, original name in WoW. And then it wasn't my first name in League, because when I started playing League, I, I didn't actually think I was going to get into the game. I thought I was, just, I was just, like, messing around. So I had, like, a really, really joke. <laughs> not totally appropriate name. Okay, fair. And then... Uh, We've all probably had those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's so all, many. They're so we've all had the dumb I always, I always yeah, appreciate yeah. those. But, yeah, and then after that, uh, my name got changed to Short Dog, and that was my name for a while. Yep. And then, one, like, I, I had tried to get the name Medios, but someone else had it, and then eventually, like, it got cleared because it was inactive. Right. And then around, like, season, what was it, maybe season two? It was around the time Elise came out. I yeah. changed my name to Medios. Gotcha. And I was, like, an Elise one trick. I know. Yeah, it was a good I mean, time. I played a lot of uh, Elise, too, and I watched a lot of you to figure out how to play that champion. But I only played her for, like, two seasons, and I totally, I totally stopped, moved off her towards Vi. Um, but uh, in, in talking about uh, the, the kind of naming conventions thing, um, so you, you, you land on Medios, you get to the uh, professional stage, you still love that name? Do oh, you yeah. ever? Okay, I was going to... I've been I, pretty happy with the name. Because I wonder... If some people ever, you know, feel like, oh, I didn't ever think I'd get this far. You know, you know, like, I don't know. I didn't think I'd get this far, and now I have this name, and mm. I really wish I didn't, and it's pigeonholed me <laughs> into this identity, or, like... <laughs> I, 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 I definitely think that's something. So, for me, I think what makes a really good name is I like the names where, you know, it's not too complicated, but I also like it when you Google the name if you're the first person that comes up. And okay. so, for me... There was definitely like a point in my career where like going off feeling validated where for a long time, you know, if you Google Medios, the game came up. Yeah. And there was some point in like 2014 maybe where like I passed it. And now like if you that Google Medios, good. I come up first. Oh, that's that feels so good. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think having a name that's like unique, uh, sounds cool, and comes up first when you Google it. Oh. Is, is pretty there. dope. That's your checklist for picking a name <laughs> in case you were wondering. Have you thought at all, we talked a little bit about like what your career might look like in the future. Have you thought at all about the continued evolution of Professional League of Legends? Again, I think in the grand scheme of things, even though League has changed a ton over 10 years, all the way from, you know, friends building a fives team and making their way, to, you know, and, and qualifying for IPL all the way to franchise the league, you know, uh, multiple splits, qual you know, world championship system that we have now. Already been through so much change, but, you know, do you feel like this is the final product? Mm. How, how much more change will our league go through uh, over the next few years or number of years? Uh, I definitely don't think it's, it's the finished product. I mm. think that there's still a lot of room to grow. Something that I like in Europe is that they have, like, their 
what is it, like their Masters League. Like they have a lot of these sort of leagues below the LEC where there's just lots and lots of different teams playing all the time. Right. Which They've I got think, EU Masters, which like services the different co like country representative yeah. Yeah, teams. So I think stuff like that's really cool because okay. in North America, you know, you have LCS, which is great. You have Academy, which I think people have kind of mixed feelings towards because some people see it as kind of like the minor leagues where it's like, you know, the LCS players who are maybe like going through a slump or or like people that are just kind of like, you know, figuring stuff out. Right. But then there's also people who are like, you know, why is this player who was in LCS five years ago taking up an academy spot? Like, it's just a retirement home. There should only be new players kind of mm. thing. So I think there's kind of like a, a weird mixed feeling about academy as far as what it's supposed to be. Um, I think that's fair because in, in, in some ways, I think academy, like the LCS, is still figuring itself out, right? Again, we talk about... If the LCS is, I would still consider in its infancy. Even 10 years in, I would oh, say, yeah. if we're looking at a generational sport, something that we want to exist for 50, 100, 150, and beyond years, then 10 years is still a very small you know, lifespan or portion of that lifespan, and academies even smaller, right? And so in that vein, like, yeah, maybe this isn't what academy is supposed to look like or looks like in its best, uh, in its best form. But by the same token, it's also a really hard thing to have an opinion on whether or not, for example, a player who played in the LCS five years ago, should they get an, uh, should they get an academy spot? Should it be a talent farming uh, ecosystem? Or, you know, is there something to be said for like, well, let's just imagine that this year you don't have the best of showing, right? And, you, do, you know, you struggle to find a team next year. Would you want academy to be an option for Medios? Or do you feel like... No, I should, you know, like the answer should be like, I'm sorry, Medios, this means it's the end of your career, you know? Right. Uh, uh, I think that's definitely something that, I mean, I'm probably biased as a player, but I don't think like former pro players going down to academy is like that big of a deal. You know, I, I did it um, after I was on 100 Thieves the first time with Flycoast Academy. Yep. And I think it is just a really good kind of mental reset sort of thing. Like the, it's definitely chill vibes down there. Um, <laughs> It's, it's not as serious as LCS. It gives you time to, like, experiment with different things or, like, mm -hmm. figure out uh, what you could be doing better. And I, to me, I view it almost like a minor league where, you know, if LCS is the major leagues, academy is the minor leagues because there are so many people that want to become pro players. Yeah. And especially in LCS when, like, f you know, 40% of the players are imports, I think having options for players who, you know, even if you're not at the very top, you still have somewhere where you can go to compete because right. for a player who spent, you know, the last eight years of their life completely devoted to be trying to become a pro player and you tell them, like, sucks, dude. This dude from Korea getting your job. <laughs> yeah. Like, good luck that's at McDonald's. Uh, yeah. I think that, that kind of sucks for them. And, uh, you know, I think always having, like, the extra leagues and stuff, it can't be a bad thing. It just I don't more people able to do it. I would struggle to come up with a reason why more competition is ever a bad thing for the overall health and growth of a competitive league, right? To your point. Um, let me draw an analogy to traditional sports. I know we, you know, don't always love these, but um, something that, I, again, I feel is fairly unique to esports and just specifically League of Legends is the fact that practice requires you to work with opponents. If I think of basketball practice or football practice, they're not really setting up scrimmages. 
the Lakers aren't setting up a scrimmage with the Golden State Warriors for the sake of practice. But it is almost a requirement in League of Legends that I play the people, that I actively and consistently play the people I'm going to have to end up beating on stage. And what a weird practice environment that is because it does the idea of keeping scrims private and infiltrating of it, you know, where hot, where is information getting out and how do you make these adjustments? Like, do you think there would be ever be validity? And I know academy teams are used occasionally to circumvent some of that the way, for example, a football practice is run where you're scrimming against maybe the B squad or something like that. Um, but is it, do you feel like League of Legends or competitive League of Legends is hindered at all by the fact that you have to scrim your future opponents? Uh, it's, it's definitely a, a good question, no doubt. Um, I think that sort of one difference that I see is, you know, in football or basketball or not, you can run drills. Plays. Where, yeah, yeah drills. like you, you can yeah, run yeah. plays and stuff like that. And I think that, you know, obviously League doesn't have the tools for that where it's not like, hey, uh, let's just like load up the game state from our last LCS game going into this Baron fight. Our academy will play as the other team, we'll play as this team, and mm -hmm. like let's, let's run it again. 10 different times and see how we could have played this fight better. Right. So that's not really an option. I don't know if it will be in the future, mm -hmm. but I think that uh, without that, the only real way you can really play is just playing out entire games repeatedly. And I think that you're always going to get better practice if you sort of like diversify your opponents. Like you right. just get exposed to more and more things. Even just playing solo queue, I think, is really valuable for that because, you know, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and say NA solo queue is the greatest because it's pretty bad, but. At the same time, you will get exposed to new things that maybe right. you wouldn't see if you were only playing in-houses all day. So I definitely uh, value like the exposure, just seeing new ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think right now, the only way you can really do that is by playing against uh, you know potential opponents because there are like certain things that LCS teams do a lot better than like maybe say academy teams. Yeah. So you want to play against the best opponent you can so that you're always staying like inform for everything because it's really easy if you play against a lesser opponent to kind of get lazy on things like maybe you're not warding as well as you need to or you're not like getting as much tempo as you need to yep and you're not getting punished for it but then like when you scrim against c9 or something it's like you're getting punished for things you didn't even know were mistakes right and you're able to learn a lot more so i think like definitely teams benefit when they're able to play against the strongest opponents they can okay so I guess for now, I don't really see a better option, but yeah. maybe maybe someday. I feel like, too, though, then, it kind of demands of pro players that, like, you have to be a pretty highly intellectual person because in order to, to get better or to improve, right, like you said, you can't load up the same scenario and run it 10 times. You can really only do it once and then look back on it and reflect. So a lot of that doing it 10 times is running the scenario 10 times in your head saying, what were my different options? Unfortunately, I can't play these out, but I have to be able to start kind of looking at it critically and say, okay, what if I didn't choose that path? I chose this path, right? And like, do you, again, just in speaking of like differences between or like what makes a good pro player, do you, what do you feel has contributed to your longevity as a pro? Well, there's a lot of other people Plenty of talent who have not lasted as long as you in a game that constantly changes and evolves. Uh, I would say that I think I talked about it a little bit when we did the like, the round table with uh, you know the, uh, yeah 
uh, Afro Moon, Moon stuff and, uh, and, and Golden Glue. Golden Glue. But I, I think for me, it's just like my natural curiosity about the game is that I feel like even if I wasn't a pro player, I would still really enjoy the game. And I've always just really enjoyed learning more about the game. Mm -hmm. uh, an analogy that I heard, which you know I've I definitely repeated because I, I like it a lot, is this idea of like the best. Well, the way a lot of people will see league is kind of like someone who you know when you're talking about playing the piano. Like let's use that as an analogy. Okay. Somebody who like watches a really good piano player play a song. And, but like they never learn how to read music or anything. They just copy the exact finger movements that this piano player made. And, and they just do it like all day, every day for years or whatnot. And then they get to a point where they can do exactly what that They can piano play that song did. or recreate yeah, it, that. Right, exactly. Like just through muscle memory or whatnot. But then what happens, so some league players I feel like are like that where they're mm. like, okay, you know, I saw Uzi do this. And so I'm doing exactly what Uzi did. Or like I saw Faker do this. I'm doing exactly what Faker did. But... What happens when you have to play a different song and you can't even read music? Right. So uh, that's sort of how I view League is it's like uh, there's just so much you can keep learning. Like there's so many different aspects of the game that you can improve at. Yeah. And I think that I'm always trying to push myself to improve in, in those different ways. And, you know, sometimes I'm not always going to like win every single game. Sometimes I'm focused on something that like, you know, at the end of the day maybe didn't matter that much. Yeah. But... I'm always looking for like new ways, new perspectives to see the game and new areas to improve at and just try to get a full understanding of what's going on. And so I think that curiosity coupled with just the amount of depth that League has, has sort of like kept me interested in it. And that, you know, interest and passion has sort mm -hmm. of like kept me from like falling out. Have you always, behind. have you always been a competitive person? Not really. Really? Honestly. Like, uh, like I was saying before, when I first started playing League, I only played normal games just because... Um, so you... Now I understand. I've always wondered how challenger-level players end up in normal games. It's people like you who've been playing, like, 2,000 normal games and are far too good to be in normal draft. Well, okay, so, so when I play normal games, usually it's because, you know, I have a lot of friends that are just really fun to play with. You yeah. Know, people that are, like, chill. You don't have to worry about, like, if you mess up a play, they're going to rage at you and start griefing the game. And, uh, you know, I like playing off-roll, too. So, yeah. you know, say Aurelia just got reworked and I play against her in ranked and I just get blasted and I'm just like, I don't even know what happened, honestly. Right. Like, that was just, or Aphelios, right? Okay. Like, even nowadays, I'm still like, what is he doing to me? <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll load up a normal game and I'll play him, you know, uh, a good amount of times. And, okay. and honestly, you can just get through the game so much faster. There's no, like, right. 20 Because you're a challenger player smurfing on... No, 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 because <laughs> I don't have to sit through 20-minute queue, 20-minute champ selects with dodges. Yep. And so you're actually just able to get in game and like just play and, yeah. and just see what the champions do. Because even though like, uh, yeah, I'm not going to say I'm playing against like the best opponents, but like my Aphelios is still doing the same damage with an IE that someone in ranks Aphelios is doing with an IE, That's right? That's true. So uh, I think you can just learn like the limits of the champions and what they're capable of. Yeah. So that's always something that's like really interested me. Anytime I feel like I don't understand something, I just want to understand it better. Gotcha. So would you say that you, I mean, maybe you've already said this, but your curiosity is more of a driver than competition for you? Uh, I think so. If League stopped patching, right? We just stopped. What are, the current state of League of Legends, boom. This is it forever. Do you think your career would end sooner than if we didn't stop patching the game? 
Like, would you get bored? Well, if it was um, right now? You, well, okay. Yumi, Yumi's but, too strong so right it, now. <laughs> Yumi's out. too strong for videos to be. No, but, it, okay, in any state. Freeze the game in any state, but I get, because I, it's more about the idea that the game state is frozen than what the current okay. uh, balance of the game is. Let's ignore the balance, but the idea that League would stop patching. Do you think, like, Medios being less, maybe less competitive than curious, mm. would you struggle being motivated to stay a pro player if the game stopped changing? I think maybe like way down the line that could happen, yeah. but I still feel like even without the constant updates, there's still so much game that's like really un undiscovered still. Mm -hmm. um, still a lot more to learn, even with the game right now. Absolutely. So I think it'd probably take a while before but I mean, that's not to say like I don't care about competition because I do want to win. So, yeah, absolutely. Didn't mean to imply that. Comp yeah, that comp that there was no level of competitiveness. But I think it's interesting that you speak to like I wouldn't have considered myself this crazy competitive person before I ended up in a profession that demands competitiveness, <laughs> a competitive drive or nature. And then for you to speak about curiosity as a driver, and point to curiosity being one of the major reasons why you're successful. Right, and so it's just very interesting to me that maybe gaming requires, in some senses, you know, less competitive drive and more curiosity. Because I, I think it can be different, probably person to person. Because okay. I think like there is a competitive drive. You know, when I'm playing the game, I'm not sitting there being like, "Hey, how can, how can I throw this one? <laughs> I'm going to find a new way to lose this game." Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely trying to win. Right. But at the same time, I like just understanding what's going on in the game. Okay. Uh, I, I feel like I'm one of those people who. Once I find, like, if there's a really good way to cheese out a win yeah. in League, I'm not the person who sits there, like, for weeks at a time just cheesing over and over and over the same way to get LP. Like, to me, that feels kind of like wasted time because okay. I'm like, all right, well, if this is just so broken, it's probably going to get patched, and then I'm worse off than I was beforehand. So I just, like, I guess learning. Yeah. It's good. Did you always have uh, an aptitude for games? Uh... I mean, not, it's hard, it's hard to really. tell if anyone had an aptitude when we were playing on non-colored Game Boys, right? Because it's like, well, turn-based Pokemon, it's you know, hard to have skill expression there. But like, what was the point that you realized in general uh, you had an aptitude for picking up games? Mm. That's, that's a good question. I, don't, I actually don't think I'm someone that learns new games extremely quickly. Mm. I, I think nowadays I'm a little bit better at it than I used to be. But I used to like be really, really bad at games when I first started them, and then it would take me a while to like actually get into it. But then I could get pretty good once I put the time in. What do you think was the shift then that allowed you to start being good? Did you start thinking about games differently? Did you start asking different questions? I think it's just like playing so many games, and mm. I, I like learning different genres. Uh, I feel like through learning different games, you can kind of like take things and then apply them to to other aspects of your life, like. I started playing Hearthstone like when the game came out, yep. and it's something that I've kind of stuck with, and I feel like it gave me a really good tolerance to just like bullshit, because you can lose games in Hearthstone for like the most ridiculous reasons. Oh yeah, and then you can kind of equate it to League. It's like, yeah, you know, blows like top, top deck loss. What yeah, it, it, it was just a bad beat, that right. kind of thing. So I think like you can learn patience through that, um, okay. and and just other things like. I think a lot of times when I start a new game, I can like try to draw parallels from other things that I've done, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, you know, just trying to overall understand what's going on and not be too sad. I mean, like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just I'm a I'm a pro gamer. I can I can play anything, you know, and just mm -hmm. 
that kind of thing, I think can get kind of troll. But uh, yeah, just trying to understand it. If I force you to reflect on your career in the middle of your career, are you satisfied with where you're at? Like, how, how do you reflect on your own career and maybe, you know, contrasting that to whatever goals you may have set out for yourself? I haven't even asked you necessarily what your professional, you know, your lifetime professional goals are for League of Legends, but, like, when you sit here and reflect on the long, you know, your career up to this point, how do you feel about it? Uh, I, I feel good looking back. Um, I think I've had a lot of good experiences, you know, have... Had a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know if I'd say I'm satisfied though, especially because of like how the split's going for me right now. Uh, we're like three and five, just came off of a really bad weekend uh, where we got blasted. Mm -hmm. So I'm never happy when we're when we're losing. Obviously, um, I just want to like keep trying to think of different things we can work on and just find ways to get better. So I don't know if I'm ever gonna be satisfied. Maybe like if I win worlds, but. Even then, it's like, all right. Even well, then, you know, right? Next year, starting, like, can you do it again? So, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's like an asymptote kind of thing. It's like there, there's no goal you can reach. It's just working toward it. Oh, absolutely, fun. right? And then hopefully when the career is over, you can look back and regardless say, hey, you know, I put whatever I have of myself into that. Um, but in having this career, it's no secret that, you've probably had to sacrifice, not probably, that you've sacrificed other areas of your life. You've made major sacrifices. Um, does that ever, you know, like, do you, you ever spend time kind of uh, reminiscing or thinking mm. on that? Like, the things that you've had to forego in order to invest this ungodly amount of time to become good at this thing that you're passionate about, but that, hey, you, you talk about wanting to be able to play till you're 30, like, holy shit, then you're going to be 30, right? And then you think, you know, um, do you think about that? What have you had to give up? What have you missed out on? Uh, it, I mean, it's something that, yeah, it, it'll pop into my head from time to time, but I don't think it's something that I dwell on a whole lot because okay. I think no matter what you're doing, there's, there's things you're not doing too. And I've just always loved gaming a lot. Like, it's, it's pretty much what I'm doing all the time, yeah. whether I'm getting paid for it or not. And so... Like, I enjoy it. I try to look at it that way. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not going out partying every single night or, like, developing super diverse interests, yeah. but I'm doing what I enjoy, and uh, it's, it's, like, progressing me so far. Like, when I'm if I play League all day, I can be like, yeah, that was, that was like, a productive day. Right. It was genuinely helpful for me. <laughs> and at the same time, I, I think, like, in the past couple years have tried to get a little bit of diversity into my life, like, you know, connect with friends more mm -hmm. because I think that burnout is a real thing if you just completely neglect every other aspect of your life because, you know, no matter how passionate you are, it's like you need something. Yeah. So I don't feel too bad about uh, the sacrifices that I had to make, whether it's, like, just moving away from all my friends or, like... Uh, missing out on other opportunities to like finish school or something like that. But right. I'd say I'm happy with how it's gone. And if we talk about, you know, if we're going to take the negative approach of what, what you've given up or missed, I think it's also important to then recognize like what you've gained, um, both in terms of just the career itself. But um, I imagine because of this investment of yourself into this space, 
you've come away with some really incredible relationships. I mean, you mentioned Bobby, right? But Bobby being one of the OGs, like, uh, do you feel like you've cre created and established some, like, you know, like true friendships and, and ever, like lasting friendships by your, your time spent here? Oh, of course. Uh, there, I've had extremely good memories from League. Um, I'm always going to be able to look back and know, like, I, no, pretty much no matter how my time with League ends, I know that I'm going to be better off than when I came into it. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I've been able to grow in ways that, you know, I never would have expected beforehand and just learn things that I probably never would have been exposed to. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I just want to make the most out of it and, uh, see where it takes me is, is kind of the mindset I have. Super cool. Uh, coming up this week, you mentioned had a tough week this last week, three and five currently. TSM, Golden Guardians are on the ballot for you guys to face here, moving into that second round robin. Um, just give me quick thoughts like on, on those matchups and, and how you guys are, are, are reconciling that O2 and turning things around. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, Golden Guardians, TSM, Pretty tough opponents. Uh, I think TSM's looking good. Golden Guardians is definitely. Uh, They've like, surprised a, a number of people with their with where they're at right now. Yeah, I think they're definitely on the come up. Mm -hmm. uh, we this is actually gonna be our second time meeting Golden Guardians. We beat them last time, but it was like okay. hard call to win because it was like it was it was a, a uh, it was a heist for sure. Yeah. So I think we're just gonna... so so perfect for your org too. Yeah, it, yeah. that was a heist. It was, that was, it was a heist. Re yeah, we robbed them for sure. <laughs> so. I think it's just one of those things where we're just going to have to keep working because yeah. one thing that I think is it can be very hard about LCS is that, uh, you know, in any given week of scrims, you're playing like, you know, five plus games a day as a team and you're you're winning and losing throughout the week. But as long as you keep getting better, uh, the what happens in LCS is like it's, it's the result of two games. And... You know, you could have a scrim block against a team where you win four times and lose once, and maybe right. that one loss is what happened on stage. Exactly. It doesn't mean you're bad or that, you know, they're just way better than you. Yeah. It's just kind of a test to see, like, where you're at, and a lot of times it can, like, show things that you need to work on. Right. So I think we're not... I don't think you need to overreact to the results of games. Like, I know it's it's the perception online for sure. It's just like... Oh man, this team's lost three games in a row. They're, they're yeah. really bad. Like, when are they benching their whole roster? Kind of thing. Uh, let's put some context to this because I want to. I want to keep going on this. Uh, how many games of League of Legends would you say you play a week? Just, just media total. That's including scrims, solo queue, and even your stage game. Like ballpark for me. How many games a week do you play? Uh, maybe like. 70 to 80. 70 to 80. So 10, 10 or more a day, right, on average. Yeah. I think that sounds correct to me, but exactly as you just mentioned. Okay, now let's contextualize that every week the LCS results are an amalgamation of 2-0, 1-1, or 0-2. Out of 70, right? And, like, that no one gets to see that 70. Um, and I know we talk about the discrepancies between... Uh, scrims and stage, right? And that, okay, even that's hard to equate to each other because just that, that there's something different, right, about that being on the day. But yeah, it's this thing of like, even us as casters, even the people who are supposed to analyze and have opinions about you guys, we make all of our judgments off of two games a week and we don't get to see those four games that you won against the very same team that you just lost to. Right, and and even breaking it down farther than that, 
I think that the result being so binary is almost a big distraction because within the game itself, every player has so many like small decisions that they have to make. Mm -hmm. And so I think like going when I go back and watch games, usually I'm looking at that kind of stuff. Like from our FlyQuest game, like we lost pretty badly and it was a rough game, but more so than just the loss itself, like I try to look at the small plays. Like as an example, there was the one play where we like tried to tower dive Viper as Orn. Yeah. And like I ended up dying and we didn't get him. But when I was watching it back, I was like Okay, he backed off the turret. We should have for sure just like proxied the wave and not let him even get to tower. And then we could have taken the top tower. So like for me, that's what I gained from the game. Right. And like that's the thing that I'll feel bad about. It's just like, wow, I, I actually didn't recognize that in game. Like I definitely should have been able to recognize that. Cool. So it's just kind of like analyzing the game states and figuring out what's the best thing we should be doing at that given time. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I miss stuff like that, like it feels pretty bad, but it's just kind of motivation. And I think just the more you can break it down like that and just keep thinking about the things you need to work on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just kind of how you get better. And you have to just not get too distracted by like, you know, the big W or the big L that shows up at the end of the game because that's just, you know, the culmination of all of those little things. Yep. Yeah, no, that's interesting too because last week I had, I had Licorice here and we were talking just briefly about the possibility of an 18-0 and split. And he actually kind of revealed to me like, well, of course, yes, we'd love to achieve that. Like, it's not like we're not going for 18-0. But he, he basically, he kind of alluded to, because I don't have the exact quote in my brain, alluded to the fact that he's like, I almost don't want the 18-0 season because if we get 18-0, I think it means we're not as good as we could be. Mm. Because it means we weren't trying enough new stuff. We weren't pushing ourselves to get better. We were doing what was necessary to get 18 and 0. And yes, maybe we were refining a spe specific style, but we weren't getting better because we weren't pushing the limits. We weren't putting ourselves in a position to lose a game, you know, and to actually learn something from it. Again, not an exact quote, kind of uh, an extrapolation of what he said, but, um, you know, I'll extend that same question to you. Like, there's always this conversation about chasing perfection. And we saw the conversation around um, uh, the, the Hooney and Rainover fanatic back in the day when they went for it, not quite getting it. The Immortals team that almost did it here in North America. Uh, G2 with their dominance. People talked about it for a while with them. And then boom, again, now people are talking about it with Cloud9. In some ways, like, that's almost not in a position any team wants to be in is like, oh, it's them and everyone else. Well, it's like, crap, that's not where we want to be. Like, we actually want to be like closely, you know, competitive with other teams because it implies we're leveling up. Right, and, and I think even that can be kind of a distraction when you're in the game. It's like, you're not seeing the game as the same way as you did the first game of the season where it's like, okay, you know, uh, where's their jungler, all this stuff, like, what are they going for? What's my best plan at this time? You're just like, in the back of your mind, you're just like, I better not fucking lose. I need that yep, 18 and 0. Right. I mean, I imagine, I imagine us in even on a on a smaller scale, but a similar th concept, similar thing happens in uh, uh, probably happened in Sven's brain around his KDA. We built all this hype around going for that 100 KDA, and he just lost it with that death. But I could imagine, like whether you want to or not, every time you go in a game after that, you're like, oh well, I don't want to die. It, but it might be the right play to die. Exactly. If you if th that's another thing too is like. I think that stats in League are super, super, like, troll for players themselves to focus on. You know, it's like, it's one, th like, I, I understand it for the fans. Like, you have your, your fantasy LCS, you have your stats, your narratives, whatnot. Like, it can be fun to talk about, but it's really concerning for me when players start focusing on it. Because it's yeah. just like, hey, man, like, look at my, 
look at my KDA, my damage per minute. I'm just like, dude, I'll play Zig's jungle and I'll just sit in the fountain, like throwing <laughs> ults at people and I'll have some sick stats. Right. But am I right. actually winning the game? Probably not. Yeah. So I think that um, like getting distracted by that stuff can be very harmful. Well, and I think in general, looking at any individual stat in League of Legends, maybe that could be extrapolated to, to any other sport as well. But like without context, looking at a specific stat is super unhelpful. Right. Right. Looking at anyone's KDA, looking at anyone's, looking at someone's jungle proximity in a, like is not necessarily a helpful stat until you contextualize it to the rest of the team or to the matchup. Maybe he's getting a lot of jungle help because the matchup demands it, not because the player demands it. Or maybe he is getting it because the player demands it right. and the matchup doesn't, right? But it's like, but if you just look at the number and you go, he's getting a lot, it must mean he needs help. That could be the wrong conclusion to draw from, from the given information. Yeah, one, one way I, I like talking about it is that uh, with KDA and assists and stuff, it's like you get the same amount of assist gold on your team regardless of who shares it. So yeah. if your two carries are killing someone and your support walks up and shields one of them, that's actually a bad play. A wrong like, play. Yeah, you know, your support gets an assist, so his stats look better, but you just took gold away from that per the, from yeah, from that person on your team that was gonna get the solo assist gold. Yeah. So it's like um, on almost any stat you can find some way that it It breaks. It, yeah, it breaks. So it's like, yeah, stats can like kind of do some stuff sometimes, mm -hmm. but Well again, I think I think it's kind of stats are a brilliant supporting element to a narrative, right? But the narrative and the context still has to exist to be able to say, this is why I'm using this stat, right? Oh, I'm specifically calling out this guy's forward percentage in this matchup because it indicates, you know, oh, he might be susceptible to an aggressive jungler. We'll have to see if that plays out. Just because he has a four, uh, you know, a big forward percentage doesn't mean he's always winning his lane or losing his lane or X, Y, or Z thing. Um, final thing uh, I want to talk to you about is uh, you already mentioned it. You're a boomer. So am I. We're League of Legends boomers. Uh, do you uh, have like an okay boomer moment that kind of jumps out to you from your career, like something that like super dated yourself or an okay boomer moment? Or is there anything that happens currently in league where you're like, you know, yeah, back in my day, you know, like, oh. kind of like situations you run into, you're like, this would have never happened in the old days of league or like. I mean, there's a lot just as far as like jungle goes because yeah. jungle has been through so oh many different God. iterations. Uh, some, some players nowadays just like don't even remember like the Aegis aura and Bulwark and just so many random things that were in the game before that mm. made it like way worse. <laughs> So, um, well, that's I, I think there's some of those. I don't know if there's any like huge one that sticks out to me. Okay, but, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I do feel that sometimes when I think back, and and it's just funny talking to some people that like never experienced it. People who started in like you know season five, six, or something like that, and they just they just don't know how right. it was before. I and mean, people who don't remember having to call roles when you you, you know. Yo, know, I want to say I miss that. You I, miss I, that? I, no, no. Like, hear me out. I so, do not miss that. I'm. I think that solo queue was better when there was when it was sorted by ELO. I think getting rid of that system was oh. one of the biggest mistakes because look, here's, here's how it is now. It's like, it's all random, right? But back in the day, it was like- It's so technically not random. It appears random. It technically goes by like the ID that is attached to your name and it, it like numerically places you. But that's all, it's so all hidden. And even it does, it is technically, it is random from the perspective of, I don't know who I'm being queued up with. So it's just wherever my number falls on that list. Okay, well, <laughs> even so, I think yeah. that's maybe even worse than random. <laughs> but I thought back in the day when it was like, the, there was the pick order, decide, yeah. decided like who gets their role, right? Uh -huh. And then it was, you were ranked, 
or you were ordered as far as like your rating goes. So yeah. the, the highest rated person was your first pick and the lowest rated person was your last pick. So, and so, so your it's best like, player gets their choice. Right, your best player gets their choice. And if your last pick, it's like, I'm expected to get carried, dude. Like, mm. I, I will lock in the Malphite top, and if you guys don't win the game on your own, you suck kind of thing. Ah. But, and also, within the game, you know, if two people on your team want to do conflicting things, you'll listen to the higher, uh, like, person who's on the pick order, right? right. It's like, it, it's not like everyone's supposed to be even where it's like, you know, how do you decide who to listen to? It's just like whoever's loudest, and then you get people that are just like really, really obnoxious to play with. Okay. But I felt like there was at least some semblance of order to the game when yeah. it was like sorted by rating. It's mm. just like everyone can get behind that. It's just like, all right, dude, you're higher rated than me. I'll listen to you right. kind of thing. Interesting take. Okay, boomer. <laughs> okay, boomer. Okay. Uh, there it is, Medios. Thank you so much uh, for coming to chat. I realized it was a somewhat unfocused conversation. That was good. Uh, but I enjoyed my time. Uh, you can catch Medios this week. Again, they're playing TSM and Golden Guardians, looking to move to 5 and 5. I wish you the best of luck, dude. Thank Until you. next time, peace out.